there's so many topics we could discuss. <laughs> but to start this episode, um, I would like to take a moment to tell you how how significant this is for me to be introducing Carla to the Army of Love community. And I say that because a lot of the personal experiences and philosophies that I've shared on my platform, everything plays a part in that, but you play a huge part in it. And ever since we met in 2016, I don't like to compare friendships and relationships, but let's not kid ourselves. You've been beyond a best friend. Um, it's Honestly, it's really hard for me to put into words how much you have shifted my human experience and how grateful I am for you. And it's it's more than a friendship. It's not any one thing. Um, you're a teacher, you're a sister, you're a friend. And I, I can't put a label on it, but I can tap into the feeling and the gratitude I have for you. So I just want to say that I'm grateful that you're in my life. And it only felt right that we start having some recorded conversations so we can share some of your genius knowledge um, with the world. So, you know, not to put too much pressure on you, why don't you go ahead and just briefly introduce yourself and talk about how you reached this point um, of passion with neurology and biology and healing other humans. How did we get to where we are today in your world? Well, thank you so much for that lovely introduction. <laughs> and you equally are so, so important to me. How long do you want me to go into depth about my what brought me here? Like five minutes less? Yeah, let's do the four and a half minute story. Yeah, because I got to tune that in. So I always knew I wanted to be a doctor ever since I was a little kid. My parents will tell you I was like always playing doctor. <laughs> um, but then when I actually got pre-med biology major, I got sick myself and really quickly wanted to find more holistic solutions. Um, I was given the surgery and drug option and intuitively everything in me was like, no, not for me. And then I realized it was like a come to Jesus moment of like, well, if I'm not going to do that to myself, why would I ever tell someone else to do it? Um, and I never really knew what chiropractors were like most people. I don't really understand the profession I just knew chiropractors that were like awesome and love their lives. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. And they are out of big pharma. <laughs> yeah. um, so I went to chiropractor school and then it was chiropractors that helped me heal. They were the ones that told me that I had Lyme and all these chronic infections and the real reason for my illnesses um, got to the root of the problem. I, as far as the neurology piece, I had POTS, which is positional orthostatic tachycardia. So it's like when you move position, your brain doesn't know where to push blood. So you get you can get really lightheaded, you can black out, dizzy, um, temperature issues like crazy. This was all happening when I was in college. So I was very, uh, I was a biology major and I was like, I don't know what's going on with my own body. Like, hmm. what is this? Um, and so it was the neuro, that was the neurology piece that started me down this rabbit hole of like, what, why does this happen? <laughs> like, why hmm. is this happening? Um, and then I got really into 
childhood development. I worked with kids working with motor sensory integration um, and seeing just the dramatic improvement in their behavior just from motor input and sensory input. Um, and then I got really into the concussion and traumatic brain injury world. And that's where I went really deep into the neurology, um, working with all different case things like complex movement, PTSD, uh, vision disturbances, vestibular issues, balance issues. So now I have my own practice. Um, I'm in Austin and I do love what I do and I help so many people every day. So that's the short, I don't know how long that was, but that was good. That was Thanks. good. That was right on point. And you know, what I wanted to talk about today is a bit of a new space that I've been entering. And what I mean by that is that for as long as I can remember, I sort of had these waves of depression and anxiety in my life. And this, I really only really remember like being 14 years old. If I dig deeper, I can probably find some memories. But since I was a teenager, I was anxious, I was biting my nails, I was having mood swings quite often, and for literally 20 years, from 14 years old till last week, I was putting so much emphasis on figuring out my mind with my mind. And figuring out are strong words, but another way to say it is I was trying to heal my mind and my overthinking and my mood with my mind. And it wasn't until maybe two weeks ago that I had another one of these swings. You know, earlier this year, I was super down, super down. I like to use weed and marijuana use as my like source of lethargicness, but I, I know deeper that something's going on. And it wasn't until a few weeks ago that I recognized while listening to an Andrew Huberman podcast, God bless this man, that I can be using the body to communicate and heal my mind. And all this time I was doing all the mind work and just stuck in my mind and so confused. And I've been neglecting my body. And that ranges from movement to sleep to nutrition to toxins. And as I started diving deeper into Andrew Huberman's content, I started to hear about the polyvagal theory. And it was so funny to me because this is something that you and I have discussed multiple times over the years. And it's something that you've dove really deep into. However, for whatever reason, I wasn't ready to receive it at that time. So it was this recent dance with depression and lethargic state of being and Andrew Huberman's podcast that led me to this sort of epiphany. Aha, I've been neglecting my body and there's a whole system inside of me that I'm not in touch with. And I started to look into polyvagal theory a little bit more and it's opening these doors that are confirming 
beliefs that I already had about the importance of community and human engagement and how it's necessary to feel safe in our environment to heal and yeah it basically opened pandora's box and i i think i sent you a text message or i called you and in some way i expressed to you carla like i'm here like i'm interested in the polyvagal theory and yeah the credit what's that about time exactly and you know for egotistical reasons for your ego uh, i do also want to state that i don't reach this point without our relationship so just Mm -hmm. because one of our conversations wasn't the epiphany moment you were constantly planting seeds and watering them at a rate that i could understand and was ready for at the time and now I'm ready for more and I want to share this with the world because I'm starting to get a glimpse into what I believe is the world you live in and that's communicating and educating ourselves and each other on how powerful we are and that there's a lot of connections going on that we're not talking about and I think that we can get really deep into this stuff and maybe we will over the course of our relationship. But right now I would love for you to give a a brief overview of what the polyvagal theory is and why someone who's maybe never heard of this before, but is interested in breath work and healing and, natural holistic remedies things like this why is the polyvagal theory significant and you can take all the time on this one. <laughs> I know. so the big name polyvagal i think already in itself is like sciencey word and it's um even within the health and wellness community people take that word and use it to apply it to so many different ways of viewing it so I'll give you the sciencey version and then break it down to where it's like, like how to app, how does this apply in my life? So really polyvagal means, poly means many. The vagus is the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve on a just neuroanatomy level, it starts in our brain stem inside of our brain and it goes down. It's called the wandering nerve. Vagus, the root word of vagus means wandering. So it's the largest nerve in our body. It supplies all of our internal organs, everything below our diaphragm. So it's very important, right? The big picture of it is that classically we've been told that we're either in fight or flight sympathetic, which is that feeling of anxiety, as you described, or we're in rest, digest, we're calm, we're at peace, we're able to breed, all those things come, balance is key, right? So poly meaning many means that now Stephen Porge has added this third layer to the picture, which is the social engagement layer. So before I go into the depths of that big picture of polyvagal is that it's the science of feeling safe. Mm -hmm. So that rest, digest, calm, I have to feel safe in order to be in that place. So how do we do that? Well, I always like to, you have to kind of know the basics of the brain in the first place to start to conceptualize this. So I like to think of it like a tree. The body is the trunk. And the thoughts and the emotions are the leaves and the pretty flowers, right? But you cannot get the leaves and the pretty flowers unless you have a nice root and trunk. 
So the way the body uses safety, first we have reflexive safety, then we have motor safety, and then we have social engagement. So I'll go through this in like a, in a real life applicable way. So as humans, we have the first layer of safety is social engagement. So we see each other's facial expressions. We, you can hear the prosody in my voice. You can hear my tone. You can see my movements. You can perceive if I'm a threat or not. Your heart rate will lower or rise depending on how safe you feel with the people around you. This is very obvious with dogs. If you've ever seen dogs meet, they will sniff each other. They're like, are you cool or not? I don't really know. Uh, I'm going to smell you. And they do it for like a full 60 seconds. And you're like, are, you, are they going to fight? And humans do this in like microseconds because we are, we are programmed as an adult to get to this point. So kids don't really have this laid out yet. This is why kids are really awkward typically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is the newest part. So if we're talking about the trunk to the leaves, this is the top part. So think of it like a pyramid almost. You can do the tree, but the pyramid kind of makes more sense. Second layer is motor. So let's say I don't feel safe or the dog doesn't feel safe. I'm going to mobilize out of the situation. This is actually very healthy and appropriate. Fight or flight or the feeling of anxiety has been given a negative connotation, but it's the only reason we move. <laughs> so like it's mm. needed. Uh, we need to be able to mobilize to survive. The only reason we have a nervous system is because we are moving creatures. So it's healthy to move, going back to the your like exercise component. So let's say I feel, I don't feel safe and anxious. I feel anxious in this social situation. It could be psychosomatic, like you're creating the thing based off of your experience. So this is why movement and exercise are so therapeutic because you're actually saying, I don't feel safe. I'm going to move and get that out of my body. This is a big issue with kids because they just don't, they don't have the ability to mobilize out of the situation. So we go to the next layer of defense, which is below the diaphragm, and that's where we shut off or freeze. So the physiological example of this is like when you're held gunpoint and you lose your bowels, right? We just went through, I don't feel safe at all. I'm going to shut off. Yep. This is known as the reptilian reflex as people, if you've ever heard the term, if you've ever seen a reptile or walked up to a, a lizard, what do they do? They freeze, right? That's a... a reptile response because they can lose oxygen and come right back without damage we as mammals cannot do that without damage so anything that goes below the diaphragm this is where we start to get gut issues right you something so stressful happens and you feel it in your gut or you lose your appetite what's happening physiologically is you're literally not getting blood flow and movement to those organs because you're in this every all the blood flows to my limbs and i'm like in survival mode so those Going back to your, like, how did, how did this connection come for you? Well, now we, going to the pyramid of energy, if your gut doesn't feel safe, this is where infections come in, nutrition comes in. All of these reflexive patterns are telling you if you're safe or not. Your brain is like, hey, there's an infection. I'm in fight or flight. It could be something totally not social. It's down here. And then maybe you're not moving or maybe it is something socials, right? So it's like the people kind of jump to this top part of the pyramid and they miss like the main parts of the pyramid, the foundation of the pyramid, which is your body. So is it safe to say that I could be operating in my day-to-day -day life feeling that I'm in a relatively safe environment? I'm in my childhood home. I'm with my family who I feel safe with, but yet my mood is, is still affected. Is it safe to say that 
unknowing to to Lee here on the surface, there's an unsafe situation going on in my gut that is being communicated in my body to my brain that I'm not conscious of. Yeah, 100%. That's the whole gut-brain connection. Most of our serotonin and neurotransmitters are produced in our gut, which gives a feedback to the brain on like, hey, this is how we're doing down here. This is how we need to respond. <laughs> so a good example, I think, as instead of just keeping it to the nutrition in the gut, um, a good example I like to use is if you've ever held a baby, babies are the perfect example of this system. So if you've ever held a baby, you know that they have a grasping reflex and they'll their finger will wrap around your finger and it's just the cutest thing, but it's a reflex because they are terrified that they will uh, fall. So they are doing this to hold on because it makes them feel safer. But eventually, once the kid can pick their own head up and sit them sit themselves up, they drop this reflex so that they can go on to the next level of motor skill. Because if they still have this unfeeling of safety, this is a nuisance now. Mm. This is this will happen every time their hand touches something. It won't let them progress to the next level. So what made them feel safe? They could hold themselves upright from gravity. So a lot of these safety mechanisms are not what we consciously think about. Like the biggest examples of safety in the brain are our visual system. So I can see my environment. I can see if I'm safe, what's around me. I can see movement. The second system is our inner ears, so we can hear sound and vibration. And the third is proprioception, so gravity. So I can feel where gravity is. And most people are not thinking that's what makes me feel safe, but really hmm. it, those are the systems as a mammal that say, am I safe in my environment right now? So going to the ADHD conversation, if I will. Yeah, please. <laughs> that's a lot of focus on the sound part of that. So people that don't have a safety in their sound system for whatever reason, we can go into that later. They can't tune out low frequency predatorial sounds, right? So low frequency sounds are predatorial to our brain. So we can be on alert for those things. The more we feel safe in, in our environment, the more we can tune out those low predatorial sounds and tune into a high frequency voice, like a human voice, hmm. especially a female voice, because that's very high frequency. The only way you can tune in and focus is if you feel safe enough to put your guard down. If you don't actually feel safe with sound, especially if you're in a classroom and someone moved over there and you heard that sound over there, you, you can try so hard to be focusing on the, the female teacher in front of you, and it can be male too, but that you're not able to actually fully feel safe. You don't, you're not thinking that, but your ears are not tuning it out. Right. So for me to be able to have a conversation, I have to feel safe enough to be like, I'm going to tune out the environment because I'm good. Right. And what is leading some people to feel safe in that classroom and others to feel unsafe? And that depends on everyone is different. I know that's the annoying answer, but <laughs> I always say the three T's. So it always goes back to three things. It, it's either thoughts or some sort of thing that you're telling yourself or your parents are telling you, or there's a, there's an actual belief going on and then trauma. So physical trauma, have you had any head injuries? Have you had any, um, any, I'm trying to think of other <laughs> traumas for kids at that age, but it can actually be emotional trauma. Um, and then the toxins. So thoughts, traumas, toxins, toxins are where we're talking about 
do you have any underlying infections? Do you have any reason that your body doesn't feel safe? And then looking at each of those. So looking at the what you're telling yourself, looking at your body, and then looking at your chemical side. So you're saying it all comes back to these three T's? Mm-hmm. Almost every time, yeah. Okay. And sometimes, for some people, it's like definitely toxins, right? Like they have Lyme disease, whatever it is. Some people, it's definitely trauma. Like I was fine and then I had a concussion and I'm not the same. Some people, it's a mix of all three. Some people, it's a mix of maybe childhood. So going back to the kids not feeling safe thing, this is why it's such a vulnerable time for kids because they can't do this mobilized part. As adults, we can be like, yeah, I'm out. But kids can't. (laughs) So they have chronic depletion of this lowest part of the pyramid. And then that's why kids with adverse childhood experiences are 70 times more likely to have a chronic disease. Wow. Why is that? Is that because the body's not healing and relaxing and feeling safe? Yeah. So you literally don't get good blood flow and movement to these internal organs. So you can get leaky gut. You can get, so if you've ever been like so stressed or like you go through a breakup, whatever, that's the thing that comes to my mind. (laughs) You literally lose your appetite. Right. It's because you literally are not getting appropriate blood flow and movement to these organs to be able to continue to do their job. So as a kid, if that happens chronically, their foundation is now this reflex. Some of them never actually drop these reflexes like this. There's, there's over 40 primitive reflexes you can check on people. This is what I do is I, you can actually check this bottom of the pyramid with physical reflexes and say like, if your body, a good example too, is the Moreau if you've ever seen the people that like, if something happens, they're like, oh, that's actually a primitive reflex. So as adults, we should be able to be like, oh, what happened? Without having a whole physiological reaction to the thing. So there's subtle things that you can be like, hey, that's that's actually a, a baby reflex, if you will. Um, it's, it's totally fine that it's back out, but basically you're using your energy at the bottom of the pyramid right now. And you're not going to get up because... Complex thought is not needed to survive, technically. Reflexes are needed to survive. Gross motor skills, then fine motor, and then complex thought and emotion. Unfortunately, the complex thought and emotion is the first thing to go away. Because all my energy is going to be used here to say, am I safe, am I safe, am I safe? It's kind of like, I used to describe it as like the kids and the parents, right? Like if the kids aren't cool, the parents aren't going to get anything done. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. Uh, what is the implication of community and human engagement as it relates to one's safety or sense of safety, let's say? Yeah, so that's now you're at the top of the pyramid. Or the uh, This is the whole part that Stephen Porridge brought to the table. Only since the 90s we've been talking about this um, is just how much we actually physically need that that biofeedback from another person's face and body to self-regulate. So we know now that humans, if they're isolated, will literally go into manic uh, depression. So why is this? It's because classically, if we were out in the wild, if we were exostracized from the tribe, we would die, right? We need, we wouldn't, we physically wouldn't be able to survive. So it's programmed in our brain to be like, Hey, change your behavior and stay in the tribe. We are literally programmed to go along with the herd <laughs> to stay alive. So 
I mean, the, the level of community is just so ingrained in us on that sense. So we self-regulate with each other. So we'll say, say you're feeling anxious, right? You're in your fight or flight. You're in that middle part of the pyramid. What makes you feel better? For most of us, it's reflexive to call someone, go talk to someone, right? I'm using my social engagement center to self-regulate because I'm seeing in you, you're giving me feedback. I'm seeing your facial expressions. A good thing to do for people. I can give you tips too, if you want to share with your people, but um, if you're just not at that point of having community or feeling safe with others, you can actually make facial expressions in the mirror. Talk to yourself in the mirror, give yourself that biofeedback so that you can just start slowly challenging that system, humming, singing, doing the, you know, there's so many different binaural beats, all these different tools for the sound part. So there's a lot of tools you can do if you're not quite ready for the social engagement part, but that is the ultimate level of safety as a human is to have, you have to have the bottom parts, you can't skip it, but to be completely at peace and a sense of knowing you have to have community. This brings up a lot of questions for me, but what's what immediately came up to uh, came up for me is this sense of needing to belong in a tribe. And if you're kicked out of the tribe, you won't survive and how that relates to modern life. And for example, for me, um, one could say I'm choosing to live an alternative lifestyle. And I get a lot of pressure, which I perceive as others fear. But I get a lot of pressure from people that I meet. They're like, wait, what do you mean you don't have a job? And you don't have insurance? Like you can't, you can't do that. And years ago, I really let that get to me. And it's like, oh, like if these people don't accept me, then I'm not in the tribe anymore. Until, quite frankly... (laughs) you introduced me to the other tribe and i was like are you fucking kidding me humans are living like this it's game over you that changed my life forever but then even in that right like let's take this new spiritual tribe and without picking one side or the other i get this sense right now just for an example that uh there are people in the comments of Phil Good's videos, which is like a spiritual uh, public figure, if you will, not to label him. Uh, but it, you get the sense that people feel like they would be kicked out of the spiritual community, whatever that means, if they got the vaccine and told everybody. And I feel like it creates this environment where there's pressure to abide by the rules or expectations of a community in order to feel safe. Do you think that's going on? I'm a hundred percent. I mean, herd mentality is studied to no end. It has very much been proven. You can watch other mammals do this too, where they just flock together and I'm not trying to be condescending, but it is truly a survival reflex. And I even have questioned my beliefs and thoughts throughout this last year and a half because of how collective the, the herd belief is in, in one camp, you know? So you're like, wait, am I like, it really causes this sense of like distrust in yourself even like, do I even know anything? Hmm. But I guess my answer on like, how do you navigate that is the, the density conversation that we've had recently. <laughs> like, 
you ha have to have the strong foundation. You have to have the strong bottom of your pyramid, first of all. You have to have your gut in control, your nutrition in control. You have to have your movement in control. You have to have these basic physiological needs under control. And then once we're there, then do you have your community? Do you have your home team, right? Is My parents would, no matter what I said on any side of you know the whole narrative, they would love me either way. And I know that 100%. And, right. and I have like a deep, dense feeling of safety with people in my life that I feel okay enough to say, yeah, actually, I don't need to go with that herd right now. I'm okay because I have my herd, right? I have my tribe. The unconditional love that you experience in your tight-knit circle, in a sense, gives you confidence and balance to maybe go mm -hmm. on your own way from there. Right. Yeah, I like the heaviness analogy. Did you Do you remember me telling you about that? I don't know, but they certainly don't, so tell us. Like, yeah, so the... The whole, re like, why do we even have relationships? And this goes back to my friend Jared's whole concept, which I love, and he gets full credit for this. But the yeah. only reason we have relationships is because life is heavy. So the whole concept, like, if you're kicked out, you're going to die. It's very real. But if having all that weight on you of like, whoa, I'm going to die. This is all on me. I have to do all these things. Like, that's not doable. It's way too much. We, we literally need each other to share that weight of heaviness. And so it's not so much all on me. I have that weight shared with others. So if someone does is carrying all that weight and then they try and put themselves out there, they are more likely to break and, and go further into a deeper state of depression or whatever it is. Versus someone that has like a full dense foundation to be able to say like, I can challenge this and I won't break if, I, if it doesn't work out. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I feel that having support at the, at the home team. Yeah, which I didn't say the home team thing yet. But yeah, basically like the, the center core of like, first it's you. What's your physiology like? Is your physiology just all off and telling you your brain that you're not safe? And then what's your home team like? That's your emergency contacts or it could be close family for some people some people it's not family it's chosen family but who are your core people that you that hold your weight with you and that truly cry with you and are truly there for you not just on a superficial level and then your friends who is people we celebrate with right like we tell them the good news <laughs> friday night friends yeah and then we have the familiar faces right so like the feel good whatever like he's in my field but i don't really know him and then the foes who are like people in my field, but I don't trust you. Hmm. And the density of the, the center is what affects the outside. So my example is always my stepmom is a foe, right? I don't trust her, but because she's in my circle, it affects my relationship with my dad. So therefore it will pull my dad's density away from me if I don't correct this or if I don't help bring her closer, right? Because they, hmm. everyone in the constellation affects everyone in the constellation. <laughs> So it really takes ownership of like, if, if I can't cut them out of my constellation, I have to bring them closer or bring my internal team closer. So wow. spending more time with those Friday night friends, spending more, being more vulnerable with them to pull them even, even closer so that I'm sharing more of my weight and I feel lighter. To make this about me and maybe someone listening can relate. Um, 
I feel like I have like four or five super homies. Like you're you're in the top of that tier, and like <laughs> Fish, for example, is in there. Uh, consistent friends that I've shared everything with, I've cried with, all of that, celebrated with, and then I just have an abundant mess of Friday night friends that aren't really friends but there's truly a connection and clearly an open path for a potentially rich and very deep friendship relationship whatever you want to call it but back to your uh, branches and leaves analogy versus the roots. I feel like the roots in this context are your home team, your your tight family of friends, whether that's family or friends. And I have some there, so I'm very grateful for that. But in learning about this constellation concept through you, I started to recognize that my relationships are very staggered and there's a lot of them but most of them haven't been given the time and energy to reach a level of depth um and as a result sometimes i feel like a super popular guy who doesn't really have any friends does that make sense yeah you're not sharing the the weight because they, they're in your field, but they don't actually share your things, right? Your live things. Everyone has them. They don't know. They don't know how to support you. They're not actually there to support you. That's, that feels so harsh, though. Well, that's where it's on you to bring them closer, right? So, like, if, you, if you're recognizing that your, your home team is not as dense, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, then you say, okay, well, then who who are my friends that I could pull closer or that I'd want to pull closer? And then, then that's a conscious effort to say, I want to spend more time with that person so that they are slowly getting closer to my home team. What about the people in your life that you feel like you need to cut them out? How do you go about that? The people you don't trust that are in your field? Uh, yeah, I think two things. Either you have that strong of a core team that doesn't bother you because you're sharing the weight and it doesn't affect you or you actually cut them out of your field. Yeah. Yeah. I've everyone in the constellation affects everyone in the constellation. Yeah. I like that. But to take a step back. um, So you mentioned and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you mentioned that at the base level we have gut, nutrition and movement and if this is out of balance or if this is signaling to your brain that you are unsafe that is the foundational layer that all of these other things will be impacted by am i correct in saying that yeah your energy is going to go back to the body first and you this is where like brain fog everyone's like oh i've totally experienced brain fog that basically means you're not getting good oxygen and blood flow to the to your brain why because your brain is using all this energy on figuring out where it is in space. Am I safe? Or because I'm smoking marijuana cigarettes with tobacco and it also has that effect. Is that possible? Well, that's causing inflammation in the bodies. So it's still what I'm saying. So if you're causing inflammation 
intentionally, your energy and glucose and oxygen is going to be used towards fixing this. And it will, again, it's like the priority. If the kids are hungry, the parents will sacrifice eating. So the kids eat first. Mm. So think of it like these are the kids. If the kids aren't good and don't feel safe, you will not get energy up here to do the complex thing that's not needed to survive. So to that point, how do we check in on our kids? How does one who's listening and has moderate interest take the next steps to check in with their gut nutrition and movement? Yeah, so I would say for sure the ultimate is seeing someone like me that can actually check for these things. But getting a really good functional blood panel is an amazing tool that a lot of people don't utilize. A lot of people don't even know, like, is my gut off? Is my thyroid off? Is my liver off? And then what tangible things could I be doing? What, so is, getting what is that? What is it called? A functional blood test. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's pretty simple. So this is where you'd have to find someone that does this. So there's a lot of people that do this. Um, I'm one of them, but functional medicine practitioner that can really look at the systems. Um, and then moving your body is just simple as itself, but you can really test this movement with reflexes, which is finding someone that does like what I do. I'm actually creating a video for people to be able to self-test primitive reflexes on themselves so like the grasping reflex there's a lot of these reflexes that you can test on yourself people just aren't aware that they're a reflex you know right um but just moving your body in general i mean as simple as that sounds like people don't take time even 30 minutes a day do something where you're actually moving your body and getting your body into a rolling sweat a lot of people just like oh i went on a walk which is great if that's where you're at but we got to keep challenging the system why is that happening? Why does the movement have such a significant impact on the system? Because if you're in a fight or flight state, like just with thought or your gut, your body is literally t telling your system, say, I need blood to my limbs and I need to move. I'm in a fight or flight state. Like I, that, so like a big thing I think people don't really think about is like, what is anxiety? What mm -hmm. is it? Really, it's like the feeling I need to move, like this uneasy feeling of needing to like move, but don't know what. That's your body telling you like, I need to move. I'm in fight or flight right now. So every time I feel anxious and I am not immune to this, I get anxious too. I know immediately I'm like, I better go work out. And every single time I feel better after and I never regret it. Wow. Yeah, I... I came home from Turkey in February and the story I've been telling to myself and to everyone is that uh, I got weed on the second day and I've been high ever since and I've been depressed and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, the weed is a part of it. But lately I've been, I've been coming to realize that I haven't been exercising mm -hmm. and I haven't been moving. I haven't been doing yoga much. I haven't been dancing and my mood has been straight in the gutter it's been mm -hmm. garbage it's been shit and i'm sitting here trying to watch videos about how to let go and just be and you know that's beautiful too but yeah i i reached the point where i was like dude you you've been exercising as part of your life for the past four years 
and you just stopped and I kind of reached a point of feeling so heavy that getting started to exercise again just felt like uh, such a big mountain to climb. So the advice that I would give to myself and to anyone out there who may have slipped into that zone, and I would love to hear your response to this, Carla, but it's, it's just to be conscious that intentional movement will help your mood and your anxiety. And it doesn't have to be running a 10K and, and busting the biggest sweat. Uh, if that's where you're at, then that's what it is, and you will be brought to that. But if you've just been stagnant and sitting around for what seems like three months, um, I think a slow little dance in the morning can be enough to really shift you in the right direction. What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, it's even there's many, many studies that have shown that exercise is 10 times more powerful than antidepressants. Mm. So it is it is not just like a maybe you'll feel better. It's like directly connected to the same system. Mm-hmm. Your body's telling you like I'm challenged. I'm not. I'm feeling like I need to put, move this energy, and so you should. You need to move the energy. We are are moving creatures. We are moving creatures. The only reason we have a nervous system is because we're moving creatures. So we are very chemically similar to plants. Ninety-eight percent of our DNA is the same. What? Well, why? What makes us? What makes us different? It's because we move. We have a nervous system. Wait, but one more time though, 98% of the same DNA as plants? So chemically, I mean like on an organic chemistry level, we are very similar. How cool is that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's why I'm, and to, compared to other mammals too, they have all these same reflexes and movements. Hmm. It's because we are moving and why is why are we moving? It's because we have to say, am I safe in my environment? Right, and back to the safety. Uh, you earlier mentioned that polyvagal theory is essentially the science of feeling safe. Is that what you said? Yeah. So I told you this about a week ago when I was learning more about this whole theory. I told you, I said, man, it's like the science behind what I've been extremely passionate about the last 10, 15 years of my life. And that is creating space for another human to feel safe. And in that container of safety, all the buzzwords, in that container of safety, um, I found in my experience that true connection can be experienced. And in that is such a beautiful opportunity to uh, maybe revisit traumas or to release something that someone's been holding on to. And these are just things that we struggle to do on our own. But I found myself in situations where someone else's presence was helping me to open up and to accept myself. That was just monumental to experience that. And then over time, I was able to create this space for others. And as I learned more about the polyvagal theory, and I watched a interview with Stephen Porges, he's the one who came up with all of this, right? He's the one who first brought the social part to it, yeah. Okay, he brought the social part to it. 
he was in this interview and they were, man, I was struggling to hang on to the, the vernacular and vocabulary that was being discussed by these two nerds. But he had a moment where he was really getting to the root of his passion for this. And he was saying like, can you imagine the level of creativity, expression, health, and just well-being that is possible if we can lean into helping each other feel safe. Yep. And I said, this is the army of love. This is, this is my whole life view is that together we can enable and inspire and heal each other to such enormous levels at least i've experienced that maybe it's not for everyone but i know that i'm not alone in this and i made the choice at some point i don't know how we're going to get there but right now in this now moment i'm dedicating my life to bringing awareness around this and then leaning in with the people who are down to do so so i've been doing my own little research when I go to parties or in every moment of my life where I'm interacting with another human, there's a level of observation that I'm partaking in to see, do they feel safe? What kind of reactions do they have to certain things? And then, yeah, I find polyvagal theory and I realize that this is a very scientific biological explanation to what I've been experiencing. And I would love to hear your perspective on uh, just sort of like a, a passionate flow, if you have it, around the potential of educating a wider audience, not just doctors, but, you know, day-to-day -day humans around, you know, the nervous system and maybe specifically polyvagal theory, but how that could really shift the way that we treat one another and maybe look at things like trauma and other instances where some people in society just get brushed aside as, as crazy or lunatics. And, you know, we don't know the full story there. I think there's a lot of potential with this lens for a deeper understanding, which will lead to deeper connection and really healing in the end. Yeah, I mean, as you were talking, the first thing that came to my mind was the minority health discrepancies, right? So if you're in America, let's stick with um, it. it you're, it's known that Af African Americans have more heart disease. They have more uh, high blood pressure, all these staggering statistics, right? It's directly connected to do they feel safe in their environment? You can also connect this with you know, if you're on the side of women not feeling safe around men, right? So we were, we've been told our whole lives, be careful, don't go in a dark alley, don't ever trust a guy. But, and then what do you think we're going to do? Wow, I'm, I can't trust anyone, right? We're programmed to believe, hey, you're not safe. You need to take care of yourself. And what that does physiologically, and I will, I'm the first one to say the whole white supremacy thing has gotten a little extreme, but recognizing as a white person, like, wow, I've, I am blessed to feel safe, typically, <laughs> in America. Um, and to recognize that this person probably doesn't feel safe, and I'm going to actually make sure that they know that they're safe with me. These little things 
even teachers explaining this, you know, they're, it's real level of like, am I actually safe in my environment? Some people are, and minorities are ones that know this, like they aren't constantly living in a, in a day-to-day life of being on a guard. Um, the other thing is kids, right? So like kids are also in a victim place of not being able to be in control of the situation. Someone else is dictating every single action of their life. And for some people it's beautiful, it's safe, it's loving. And for a lot of people it's not. So being super aware of that's why I'm really passionate about working with kids is because they're there. We are in an epidemic level of developmental delay diagnoses. And this is across the world, not just America. But what does that mean? Developmental delay? Yeah. So things like ADHD, dyslexia, autism spectrum, um, movement disorders. There's a lot of like people, if you know that all these kids are doing these ticks, right? There's a lot of reasons. These are reflexes. There's reasons for it. So really getting to like making the school system more about educating people on safety, making them actually feel safe and seen and in the workplace, focusing on making every single person feel safe and seen. So those are like what kind of came to my mind as you were talking, but really just being in, we, we constantly want to say like, for example, like if someone is, sees like a, a kind of threat in ev- in everyone like they low-key like don't really trust anyone they're like i don't really trust anyone well then you have to say like is art is everyone truly a threat or is it your filter system that's off so this is where you also have to take ownership and like because i guarantee you not everyone's really a threat <laughs> if you're if you're perceiving that then you have to say well, why maybe something's off with my filter systems maybe my visual system might be perceiving things incorrectly or my inner ear system might be perceiving things incorrectly and like seeing someone like me or someone that can help you really identify it and then assessing the environment and saying like is this person truly a threat maybe like one or two but the rest we can start saying no they're not actually a threat this is my filter systems off and I now we can create this level of safety with each other as a community and if someone is at like your example of you're at a party and Someone's just like not really clicking with you. And you're like, oh, I don't know what's wrong with that guy. Like they just don't vibe with me. That's a very, e- coming from a very ego place. It might be that that person is so on a dip- deep level of unsafety that they can't even build up the courage to just open their mouth or even make eye contact. They are so at a deep level of unsafety that their filter systems are off. So it's being humble with those people and being sitting with them regardless. Like I'm here. We don't have to talk. I just want you to know that I'm, I'm here with you if you want, you know, and especially kids, like if they're throwing a tantrum and they're flipping out, there's a lot of controversy on this, but <laughs> the old school way is like, shut up and go to your room until you're done. And now it's like, we're recognizing like, actually, no, it's really sitting with them. We're not mm-hmm. validating their behavior, but we're saying, you know, I hear you're upset. That's, you know, I, I feel that you're in pain, but I'm going to sit right here until you're ready. There's so many examples of where this comes up in techno raves, and I think that could be our series moving forward uh, as I go back to parties. But it reminds me of this one particular moment. I was in Tulum at a party a few years ago, and it was towards the end of the party. It was like 10 a.m. It was light out, and I was going to sit down and, and roll a joint and kind of relax, but 
I was being very calculated with it. I was kind of looking around. I was flowing, and I thought, who do I want to sit near? Like, who do I want to invite into my field for a potential friendship? And on my little quest, there was this woman sitting alone, and she kind of had this going on. And I felt really called to it. And I didn't feel called to go over and touch her and say, hey, honey, what's going on? Tell me what's up. No, no, no. It was none of that. But I sat next to her and I rolled my joint there and I smoked my joint and I just kind of didn't put much energy into it. But about five minutes later, she put her head up and she looked at me and she just said, thank you. And that was it. We didn't talk, we didn't touch, we didn't hug, nothing. But I felt pulled to just be present near this person that I felt could use some human presence. And, you know, I think the thank you says, gives confirmation to what happened. But yeah, like this is shit that I was already naturally drawn to. And now we're getting into the science and the biology and, and the humanness of all of this. And it's really just given me a lot of confidence and inspiration to understand this more clearly and to help, you know, relay this information to people out there. So I, I appreciate your your knowledge on on everything, really. Jesus, you're a genius. <laughs> Someone knocked at my door. I'm sorry. Give me yeah, two yeah, seconds. Yeah, go. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So, like, from your perspective, and I don't need a direct analysis of what happened there, but what's happening with this woman sitting in, in a sort of depressed body language and then the presence of another human being seemingly lifting them up. Like, what, what's happening inside of us in these moments? Yeah, the, she probably, I mean, I'm assuming there's so many variables to each person's stories, but I'm assuming that she just felt nice that you didn't avoid her hmm. and that you were like, I'm seeing you for where you're at and just holding space for being in her presence, you know? Yeah. But the, I mean, it goes back to that social, so the hierarchy kind of is we can talk to each other and with, let's just use technology because we live in it. You can text, that's a form of connection, right? Social media is like a form of connection. But it's not really, you're not really feeling safe with that text, right? I just sent a text. I don't know if they got it. I don't know if they're, if they just blow it off. Like there's not a level of return safety, <laughs> And then we'll take it to the next level. We're on the phone. Now I can hear your voice. Now I'm including my ears. So that's another level of safety. Now I'm doing video calls. So now I'm including my ears and my eyes. I feel even safer. I'm getting a lot of biofeedback on how they are and if I can really feel and what they're feeling. And then in person, now I'm feeling their vibration. I'm seeing their movements. I'm feeling the palpableness of their presence. That is the next level. And then the, the highest level is touch. So like really embracing and a lot of people cannot do that is very uncomfortable. It makes them feel that, but when you are at that, when you feel that safe with someone, 
that's the ultimate like oh i'm safe with this person Mm. and then sex is really the ultimate but right even including sex if you just jump straight to that level of intimacy and you don't actually trust them then you just created a disbalance in yourself and now you actually feel icky after right like Mm. that didn't that didn't actually feel good after because i didn't actually feel safe with them uh would what would lead someone to doing that i think our culture has driven us to believe that like video and sound are appropriate forms of social connection that they're pseudo connection um and then the sex thing is a very cultural thing i mean i don't need to (laughs) that's not news to anyone here but we've kind of uh taking some a, a very the most ultimate level of connection and made it be like oh it's just sex it's just sex it's just an animal thing which it is but it's also really connecting with the social engagement level and if you don't really feel safe with that person you're actually causing it and making it worse and you're mm-hmm. causing more separation between yourself and others wow i i feel like to an extent we're living in a society that's just doing this to ourselves and we don't really know it it's like porn too i know you've talked about this before you're getting that physiological you're getting sound you're getting the the visual and you're physically feeling something but there's no reciprocation from the person in the video and that's a disconnect of actual trust so then you did the thing and then afterwards you're like i feel worse because there was that was not an actual safe relationship hmm a one-sided exchange yeah there's no trust there there was no actual so therefore you do the opposite where you put yourself back into fight or flight so i feel like in some instances this is just uh, what it feels like to me is that anxiety arises and rather than being with it or exercising i feel drawn to porn to escape that feeling and while i'm in the hypnosis (laughs) trance of opening seven different tabs with different porn videos open uh the anxiety is seemingly gone i don't feel it the same way that i did 10 minutes ago while i'm in the process but how do you feel after well that's what i'm getting to and then in these scenarios, there's been cases where I, I very mindfully masturbated and I felt awesome afterwards, but that's few and far between. Um, this anxiety-driven escape style of pornography masturbation leaves me feeling worse than I did when I started. And then when I've done this for two or three or four or five years, a level of awareness came with that. And with that level of awareness came a layer of guilt and shame. And with these layers of guilt and shame came a deeper sense of anxiety. And then I'm stuck in this loop. Yeah. Um, it's not exactly where I'm at right now, but I certainly reached that with porn. And the interesting thing to just cherry on top before 
you go on this is that um the shame and guilt feels awful and adds a whole nother layer to the whole experience but i can say now that that's what's guiding me to finding a balance and finding um, a healthy sustainable lifestyle whether it's around masturbation or just managing this stress and anxiety that comes up if i didn't have that guilt and shame I would just keep doing what I'm doing. So I, I do trust now that my system is trying to communicate to me. And for years, I've just ignored it and continued escaping. And it just brought me deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah, I mean, my answer goes back to the density theory of like, social media is great because it makes you feel connected, but it's a disconnection form of connection, right? It's a pseudo connection because there's not real trust there. Same with the porn, right? So your sex and, and masturbation are not bad. It's that, was there actually an intimate relationship or was it a disconnected relationship? So it's the density of the quality of the relationship. So it's, having sex is amazing because you've reached that point, but who was the person like, Finding, um, I guess, my answer to the, you know, constant like, oh, I felt okay in the moment. Really what you're wanting is that deep connection in that moment. You want to feel the pleasure of it all. But what would make you not feel guilty after is because you actually felt a connection with that person. Then you're getting the best of both worlds. <laughs> so it's the dens- it's the density of the connection. So social media is great, but you're not actually... It's nothing like actually having a friend in person. It's not comparable. So we can have this idea of like, yeah, I have all these friends, look, but they're, they're not, there's no density there. So therefore it's not safe and it's easy to break. And same with porn, there's no density at all. It's not that the act is bad, but there's no real connection. So therefore you feel even more disconnected from yourself because you just, did something that's really vulnerable and intimate that's supposedly done with other humans and you did it all by yourself. Yes. And I'm totally shifting gears now, but this idea around um, actual trust and connection. Um, So if you're having sex with a, a partner of multiple years, that's one extreme. And the other extreme would be masturbating to porn that you have no authentic connection to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my mind just wandered to the relationship I have with certain musicians and artists in the electronic music world. And I don't know if there's anything relatable here, but I figured I'll pick your brain on it. Um, there's particular artists that whether I've had direct conversations with them or I've read interviews where they revealed vulnerable aspects of their lives. For example, uh, one artist, uh, I'll just say it's Ben Bomer. Um, He came out and did an interview with some magazine about how his father passed away. Um, I don't want to get into details about it, but and how this particular song in memoriam is dedicated to his late father and I actually heard this song before reading that article I shit you not I was in a gym in Mexico City his new album came out I put it on I believe it's the intro 
And in the middle of this gym, I just started crying. And I had mom emotions that came up in that listening experience. And then it wasn't until weeks later that I read this article and I was like, holy shit, there's no coincidence that I felt that. I guess what I'm asking you is, is there potentially a difference in how we receive music in this example if we have a deeper, more authentic level of trust with the creator themselves? Yeah, I think you answered your own question, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we see influencers all the time and we feel so connected to them, right? We know about their, we know what they had for dinner last night. Like they don't know about us though. So that we feel, we might feel trust for them because they have a strong enough foundation to be open and vulnerable without themselves breaking, but we don't, they don't have that for us in return. So I, it's kind of like the hierarchy, like you already explained, like there's levels of connection. And if you want to have the real connection you got to do the real thing even for influencers right i love i don't know who ben bomer is but like if you if you think of it on like this level of what i'm describing he's like in the middle of like i've i've repeatedly seen him i trust him but he doesn't actually know you and you don't really know him because you never i don't know if you do or not so there is still like a level of disconnect but it's it still goes back to each person's level of density on how much they actually feel connected and I still will say, even those connections are pseudo connections. It's okay that it's nice that you reach that level of pseudo connection, but like, how can we build up to where, and it might not be from him. It might be that like, I need a deeper core team, but yeah, the social media thing is like a mind wraparound because it's like, you feel connected, but you're not really. Yeah. And I, I it felt like I was listening to you describe me for a moment there in the sense that I have the microphone, I'm vulnerably sharing a lot of my human experience. And there's a group of people out there who are connecting with it and resonating and feeling trust probably from what I'm sharing. But I'm not really getting that from them. And in this case, it's, it's less about their willingness to be open and more about my management, my bandwidth to be able to engage with that many people at that much depth, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's why I go back to the text message analogy. It's like, I just wrote you a message, but you didn't respond. So now I don't know how you feel about it. There's no biofeedback. I really don't actually feel safe with this relationship. It's like that, but on a way bigger scale. And you might be okay with it because you have a strong foundation. But certain people, I personally don't want that kind of um, outreach on social media because I overthink it. I'm like, did they like it? You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. so I'm like, some people like you and a lot of my friends are really fine with putting videos out and they're like, yeah, but they have a strong safety net of themselves to be able to say like, I don't need that feedback back because I know who I am. To be honest, you're a huge patch of my safety net. It's kind of cool to see that. Right, yeah. I'm, and I have a, huge, a certain list of people that I literally are like, this is who I call when, that, when things are not okay. And that because I have that, I'm way more likely to like extend that reach even more. Yeah, it's something I've been 
taking a little deeper look at and um in this now moment and recently i felt way more called to do less dming and instagram stuff which i'm super grateful for it but i reached the point where it's like this isn't reaching my deepest levels of fulfillment or even value that i can bring to people and i i think really to step into that what needs to be done is to make it smaller and make it more intimate and actually get in person and be able to share space with people so how i get there i'm not certain on the steps but i'm certain on the direction right now and that's less branches and more followers and more with the roots let me get five or six people that really want to connect and open up to one another and let's just start with that and follow the magic that that opens up yeah and i do have to go but i want to say one thing this is not 100 percent studied but there are studies that show that after a tribe back when we were like hunter gatherers after a tribe had reached 200 people they would start to break off into a new tribe that there there is a limit to what we feel close with and there reaches a certain point where i'm like i don't how can i possibly feel close with the three million people here in this city and it's a deeper conversation um because i think in today's world we're exposed to more so i do think over time that probably influences our ability to take on more but only so much and um yeah, I think it's actually Sex at Dawn is a book that talks about this. And I, th- I think the magic number book. they mentioned is 150. Is that what it was? I couldn't remember exactly, but... Yeah, it's just, just this idea, like, that's the sweet spot. And once you go over that, there's disconnection. And it's mm-hmm. always what I said. And that's, once you have enough, less is more. Well, quality over quantity. Yeah, you have to be able to have the foundation to be able to spread out. But a lot of people are still working on their foundation. Absolutely. So look, I know you got to go. And this was great. So we'll definitely be doing more of this. But uh, if anyone out there is curious in getting themselves checked out or seeing a doctor about some of the stuff we talked about, they have the green light to reach out to you. Is that right? Yeah, if it's from a distance, if you're in Austin, Texas, I can definitely see you in person and do all the neurological side too. But if it's from a distance, I can do a functional health panel and where I look at blood work and we talk about your history and what potential things we could work on from a distance. There are so many things you can work on for this foundational part on your own. Awesome. And look, let's make it official here. I want to start creating more content around health and a lot of the topics we discussed today and that will include podcasts like this but also just little infographics and stuff like that so i'm going to be working with carla on just that and moving forward we're going to be taking deeper steps into the world of neurology and human connection and science so Carla, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us. And I don't know what to say. I'll see you when I see you. We just go with the flow. Yeah. On this. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm honored and I look forward to continuing. All right. I love you and have a beautiful day. Love you. Bye. I'll see you later.